Romans chapter 8, and uh, we're going to begin our study today in verse 9 and go through verse 14, Romans 8, 9 through 14. If you're just joining us today in the series, we're studying Paul's letter to the Romans, and we're in that section of Romans where Paul is dealing with the practical aspect of the Christian life in life in the Spirit, even though we are still in the body. And he is comparing and contrasting in these verses the the differences between walking under the dominion or the realm of the old way of life in the flesh versus walking in the realm of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual way of life, now that we have been born again and come to have the indwelling presence of God in our very own lives. As we look at these verses this morning, there are some terms that I want to make you aware of at the outset that we will encounter in these passages that we need to keep straight. Um, a lot of people confuse the flesh with the body. Both terms are used in this passage, the flesh and the body. And they're different words in the Greek. The flesh in this passage is sarks, and the body is soma. And the reason that that's important is because when Paul is speaking of the flesh, He's talking about the, the carnal, <clears throat> sinful, self-centered way or realm of living that pertains to, to the realm of sin, driving our lives. And when he speaks of the body, the soma, he's talking about this physical thing that I'm standing in this morning. My body is animated this morning because I'm in it. And I'm alive. If I were not in it, it wouldn't be animated. It would be lying in a coffin or something, but it wouldn't be doing anything. So he's talking about the physical body that I inhabit as a person. Flesh and the body, two different things. The other thing that we need to keep straight is, when is he talking about the Holy Spirit, and when is he talking about our spirit? because both are also referred to in this passage. Now, the grammar helps us. And, and your New American Standard Bible, or in some of the translations, try to make that easier also by capitalizing the word spirit when it refers to the Holy Spirit and leaving it in lowercase when it refers to the human spirit. But that's not 100% reliable. But uh, at any rate, we can distinguish it from the grammar of the passage, but you just need to know that there is a difference between my spirit and God's spirit. And both are referred to in these verses. Let's read them together beginning in verse 9. You follow along as I read aloud. However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the, of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Father, as we come to your word this morning in these verses that Paul has written to the Romans, but really also to us, to all believers everywhere, we grapple with these issues every day, as you know, Lord. We struggle with the flesh and the spirit and, and the body and this realm and, and this world. And, and it, oftentimes confusion reigns in our minds. I pray this morning that you would bring understanding. That you would clear up confusing uh, points to people. But I'm not asking, Father, just for information, for an academic kind of uh, analysis. I'm asking that you take what we now come to understand, and in the power of your Spirit, bring it alive in our hearts that we might commit to it by faith to walk in this way. Give us grace today to both understand and obey that in your spirit we might live in that realm where day by day more and more we look like Jesus. We ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. The first thing that Paul says, because you remember the last thing he said in verse 8 from last week, Paul wrote this all together in one sitting. He didn't have a week apart waiting for the next Sunday service, you know. So in verse 8 he had said, For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's about as plain as you can make it. If you're, if you're going to live under the domination of the carnal nature, you can't please God. It's not, it's not going to happen. That's the reason for the however in verse 9. However... You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul is making us aware of the fact that every person who has been born again, every person who's come to know Jesus Christ, is born into the realm of the Spirit. Now, Immediately, we need to recognize that just because you are born into the realm of the Spirit and have the privilege of living there, not everyone takes advantage of that. And that's the very point where we struggle and wrestle. Christians who don't live like Christians sometimes, you know, people who are living in the realm of the Spirit but kind of are still being dominated by the flesh. We have this conflict going on in the natures that uh, often brings confusion because we don't always exercise the privileges we have by birth as children of God. 
But Paul wants us to know that everyone who has been born again, everyone who is uh, born of the Spirit, is in the realm of the Spirit. You can kind of make an analogy, it's a little rough, but you can kind of make an analogy that people who are born in the United States are citizens of the United States. Not all of them vote, not all of them participate, not all of them enjoy the freedoms. In fact, if a person uh, commits a felony uh, to the point they're incarcerated for a serious felony, they lose some of their citizenship rights, including their freedom, but they don't lose their citizenship, they just lose the privileges of it. Well, believers who are born of the Spirit of God are born into the realm of the Spirit. But sometimes we don't exercise all the privileges and benefits that are ours. And sometimes people kind of choose, sadly enough, to live in some kind of bondage, some kind of limitations, because they don't understand the potential that they have for freedom. So he says, You are not in the, in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, He does not belong to him. Now, for some of you, this is review, and for some of you, this is brand new. So if this is old news, uh, just kind of let it reinforce what you already know. But I, I need to review with us what happens in the process of salvation. There's actually uh, several Christian groups, one I can think of in particular, who teach that you do not receive the Holy Spirit inside until you come to a crisis as a Christian and you become filled with the Spirit. Until that time, uh, the Holy Spirit is outside of you, but not inside of you. And they say you're forgiven and you're cleansed and your sins are, are washed away and you have a right standing with God, but you don't have the Spirit of God until you come to a place where you let him fill your life. Well, that's not biblically true. Jesus said to his disciples before he went away, the very last night he was with them, he said, I will give you my spirit. He has been with you. He will be in you. Made a very clear distinction. He has been your companion by your side. But he will be in you when I go away and give you my spirit. You'll be born again. And when he stood with them on the morning of the resurrection, in that upper room, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Right now. Take him in. Paul says very plainly, If we do not have the Spirit of Christ, we do not belong to him. Every person who is a child of God, who has turned to Jesus Christ by faith, and received him as Lord and Savior and trusted the atonement that he made on the cross for our sins, everyone who does that receives the Holy Spirit inside of them. He comes to live in them. And at the same time, another phenomena occurs. Our own spirit is brought to life. We are born again. That's literally what it means. We are born again. Not in our fleshly habitation, but in our spirit. Because 
our spirit until that moment was dead with respect to God. A dead spirit is one that has no life, has no connection with God, has no communion with God. Uh, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't operate toward God at all. But when we're born again, our spirit comes to life. And so, in a sense, a Christian now has two living spirits. Isn't that cool? <laughs> you have your own that's now alive. And you have the Holy Spirit who's living in you. And that combination, Paul says, objectively makes you alive in the realm of the Spirit. It's, it's a fact. And he says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you don't belong to Christ. It's as simple as that. So the Holy Spirit comes into us and makes us alive to God and brings our spirit to life, and we are born into the realm of the Spirit. It's true of every Christian. Now he says, if the Spirit, if Christ is in you, verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, all of a sudden, we're introduced to this two-world issue. And the word that's used here is body, not flesh. That's real important. The word that's used here is body, not flesh. He says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. As Christians, we truly do live in two worlds. And salvation has an instantaneous part to it, a progressive part to it, and a final part to it that takes our whole lifetime and beyond to complete. Let me review that with you. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, as I just said, you're born again that fast. Just instant of time, your spirit comes alive. You're alive in Christ by your spirit. But then comes the process of taking a lost, sinful, worldly-minded, self-centered person and transforming them by God's amazing power into a person who is coming under the control of the Holy Spirit, beginning to look and act like Jesus Christ himself, beginning to live in victory over sin and temptation, beginning to exhibit godlike characteristics. And that process goes on as God constantly renews our mind, makes us to understand how his thinking differs from our thinking, deals with the bondage of our will and releases us and frees us to be obedient to him deals with our emotional life, enabling us to not be controlled by emotions, 
but controlled by the Spirit. We're supposed to have emotions. If we didn't have emotions, we'd be pretty droll. <laughs> there was a fellow who came here many years ago. He, he's remained a dear friend through the years. And uh, Cecil said, I love emotions. Good, bad, or ugly I love emotions. Just give me emotions. I don't care what they are. I want to feel something, you know. Well, we were made that way. We were made to feel things. But it was never intended by God that we be dominated and controlled by those feelings. Because they change with the wind. But that we'd be controlled by the Spirit. And so the process begins of recovering control over the emotions. Strengthening the will to be obedient to Christ. Changing the mind to think the thoughts of God. That is a lifelong process. And the final part of salvation is the salvation of our body. When in the great day of Christ's coming, he raises these bodies of ours out of the grave, and those of us who happen to be alive when that occurs are immediately caught up to meet him in the air, and our bodies are changed in root, and we become glorified, resurrected people. Now, the thing that we need to recognize is between now and then, the instantaneous part of salvation is a one-time occurrence that's a done deal. We are born again in the Spirit. We are able, by the power of the Spirit, to see progressive transformation in our personality, in our soul, in our mind and will and emotions, by the power of God, to where we look more like Christ. But this body of ours is on its way to the grave. I don't want to be morbid this morning. I don't want to upset anybody. But that's the reality. That's the reality, you know. I, I will never forget as a child, I was, I was about probably 14 years old. So I was a young, a young person. And my dad was in the hospital, and he was, um, he was in intensive care. He'd, he was fighting a losing battle with cancer. And I, had been, I spent days of my life in the waiting rooms of the intensive care unit in those years. I probably spent months of my life there, actually. And, uh, and I remember one day I was, I was kind of, in those days, a 14-year-old could roam the place and not be too concerned, you know, and I was wandering out to just take a walk in the parking lot. And I came across, uh, uh, looked like an older sister trying to comfort a younger sister. And uh, they were country folk. You could tell by the way they talked and by their dress. And they were just kind of country folk, and they had had some tragedy in their life. And I'll never forget this older girl saying to her younger sister, Honey, we's bound to die. Honey, we's bound to die. And that kind of rocked me, because I'd never thought of it that way before. From the moment of our birth, we're on the way to the grave. It's just reality. You can't change it. <laughs> We're aging. <laughs> We're getting older. 
You, you may look in the mirror now and you say, I'm getting younger. I'm getting better looking all the time. You know, I'm, I'm coming into my own. Well, honey, there's a change coming. <laughs> You're going to top the hill one day and it's going to go the other direction. You're going to look in the mirror and something's going to be happening around here and here and, you know, as far as I'm going. But anyway, <laughs> changes are afoot. This body is dying. My spirit is alive. My soul has the privilege of being under the realm and dominion of the Holy Spirit, but my body is failing me. It's failing me right now. My back hurts. It's hurt all morning. It bothers me. And it's part of the reality. And Paul says... The, the body is in trouble. The body is dead because of sin. I want you to connect with the, with the moral reality of this. Why are you alive in Jesus Christ today? Because God has done something wonderful for you, and, and he has kind of come in and, and changed the effects of sin and made you alive. Is that the reason? That is not the reason. The reason you're alive in Jesus Christ today is one reason only. Your sins have been cleansed. It is a moral reality. If you still had sin blighting your soul, you would still be dead to God. You are alive in spirit today because your sins have been forgiven. You're righteous. But salvation is a process and the last enemy to be conquered is death. And in the process of salvation, the body is still under the effects of sin. It's still on the way to the grave. And here's this, this fascinating dichotomy. That I, a living person in Jesus Christ, inhabit a body that's on the way to death. And this is a part of our dilemma. And this can be confusing to some people. And one of the things that, that we need to recognize when I say salvation takes place in three, three realms, instant spiritual birth, progressive soul sanctification, and ultimate bodily resurrection, we still need to remember that we are whole people. We don't come in three parts. You know, you can't take me apart into my components and still have me. This works together so well. This, this is a bunny trail, okay? But let me go down it for just a moment. This works together so well. Because if all you have is my soul and my spirit, you don't have me. You have my personality, and I'm alive, but you're missing something. You don't have me. Because I am a human being, and human beings were formed from the dust of the ground, breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and that spirit-body connection became living souls, and I am not complete until all of me is back together again, in the presence of God. Resurrection is a necessary 
finality to salvation. We must be raised from the grave physically to be complete in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, immortality was God's plan. And that's a part of it. But until that happens, we are still living in these, these bodies of death. And, and because I'm a whole person, there is interaction going on with my body and soul and spirit that neither I nor you can take apart. We can't separate it. Let me explain what I mean by that. Have you ever been around a person who suffers from chronic pain? Do you, do you know what happens to them in soul and spirit when their body is in chronic pain? Well, have you ever been around your puppy when he was hurt? <laughs> they snap at you. They growl. They whimper. Their temperament changes. Chronic pain can be one of the most stressful, debilitating things a person lives with. And apart from the grace of God, it has an impact on the personality. The body has an influence on the soul and the spirit. It, it simply does. Have you ever been around a person who was clinically depressed? Their emotions have just hit rock bottom. Nothing in life interests them anymore. They're... They're just kind of in a state of existence, kind of limbo, and, and uh, they've lost their motivation, and they've lost their passion, and they're, they're just kind of, they're blah, and you can look at their face, and you, you see their affect is just down. And when you talk to a person who's clinically depressed, what are some of the symptoms that, that an interviewer looks for? They don't sleep as well? Where is that taking place? Is that the soul or the body? That's in the body. They hurt all over. That's in the body. They don't move very fast. Or when they do move, they don't move with a great deal of coordination. That's called psychomotor agitation or psychomotor retardation. Their muscles don't respond properly. That's in the body. The soul's causing it. Because the soul is depressed. We are so intricately woven together. David says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're amazing people. And Paul is introducing us to the reality that we are living in bodies that are still under the domain of death, even though we have spirits that are alive in Christ Jesus. And we need to be aware of that reality. So listen to what he says, though, in verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Now here's the amazing thing. You have a body that is subject to death and pain and decay and needs and all those kind of things. You have a spirit that's alive. And Paul says that the spirit of Jesus Christ living in you is able to give life to the mortal body. I have always quoted this verse in the context of healing. 
And it does apply in, in healing. It certainly does apply in healing. And in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, you may not be aware of this, kind of the finer points. I, I have uh, licensing interviews and ordination interviews coming up Thursday where I'm going to be working with the committee to interview people, see if they know their stuff, you know, before we really turn them loose out there on the churches. And uh, one of the questions we always ask is, explain healing in the atonement and what we mean by that in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And some people come up with interesting answers. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you, this is valuable information. If you, if you listen to what I'm about to say, you too can pass the ordination interview. Well, at least, at least the healing part of it, okay? We do not believe in faith healing. We do not believe in faith healing. We do not believe in prayer healing. We believe in Jesus healing. And there is a big difference. People who believe in faith healing believe whether or not you're healed is entirely dependent upon how much faith you or your friends have. People who believe prayer heals, they're all hung up on prayer. You know, maybe they have a, a mantra they pray. Maybe they have a special prayer they recite every day. Maybe they think that they can get enough people together and with the powers of prayer, we're going to influence the kingdom of the spiritual realm. And so they're going to just kind of try to manipulate. You know what that's called? It's witchcraft, thank you. That's witchcraft. When you think that, by, that faith and prayer are the operating power, that's witchcraft. If I say the right thing, do the right thing, think the right thing, I'll make things happen out there in the spiritual realm. That's witchcraft. We believe Jesus heals. Now, we believe Jesus heals. Okay? We believe that Jesus has the power to heal. We come to him by prayer, but we look to Jesus. And we leave the result with Jesus. And sometimes Jesus heals miraculously. And sometimes he overrides the problem. And sometimes he says, I will be with you. I will never leave you alone in this problem that you're suffering. But he is always present. We believe in divine healing. And so Paul is telling us that if the Spirit of Jesus Christ is in these mortal bodies, he will give life to them. That comes partially in the realm of healing. I, re I remind you, those of you that know your missionary biographies, uh, R.A. Jaffrey, who pioneered the field of China and then Southeast Asia and then Indonesia and Philippines. Jaffrey was a powerful missionary influence in the first half or so of the last century. But he suffered from diabetes and a heart condition, and the Christian and Missionary Alliance, in the day when he applied for credentials to go as a missionary, denied him. They said, you don't have, your health isn't good enough. We can't send you over there. You need medicine for diabetes. You need medicine for your heart. We can't send you to China. And so Jaffrey was somewhat well-connected. His family was uh, large in the newspaper business, and there was some money there. And so he went to China on his own. And when he got there, he cabled back to the Christian Missionary Alliance and said, I'm in China, would you like to use me now? And it was like, well, okay, <laughs> I guess we'll put you to work. 
What many people don't realize is that Jaffrey, many days of his life, spent up to 20 hours a day in bed. He spent so much time in bed that he had a special desk made that would roll up to his bed and kind of like a modern hospital table, and he could, he could lay in bed and propped up on pillows and, and work and make assignments and work on things, and, you know, his uh, secretaries would come in the next day and take the papers out, you know, and th- pass out the orders and all those kinds of things. There were times when he had more energy than others, but he, he was never delivered from diabetes and heart trouble. But one time he was captured by bandits and hauled off into the countryside for several weeks without medicine. And did you know that he suffered no ill effects? And he came back. When he came back, he needed his medicine again, but while he was gone, God just supernaturally sustained him. Jaffrey died in a Japanese prison camp in World War II in his 70s after being a faithful missionary for half a century. How did he do that? Christ for the body. The spirit of him who is alive in me gives life to my mortal body. And friends, I, I can testify. You know, I, I have learned through the years, my body has not always been kind to me, but I have learned through the years, seldom do I ever call a substitute to come and preach when I'm not feeling well. And the reason is because I show up and God shows up. It's the most amazing thing. I can come here to my office on a Sunday morning with a migraine headache. I can come here at the point of nausea with sickness. I can come here in pain that I can just feel like I can hardly move. And I begin to preach. And the most ama- God just takes over and things happen. And God does stuff. And sometimes it's kind of humorous. I, I don't, one of these days, uh, if God cares to explain it, I have a question for him. Because sometimes I will get to the end of the second service, it's noon o'clock, and I go home and I'm crummy again. I'm just like right where I started. But for four hours, I was supernaturally sustained. Here's what I'm telling you. Your body need never hold you back from doing what God has called you to do. Now, some people have to sort that out. They want to do stuff they want to do. But your body never need hold you back from doing what God has called you to do because God will give life to your mortal body. That's one way that he does it. But the other way that he does it, and this is, this is really neat too, is that we have a living Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, bringing divine life, and Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay earthen vessels. He, he talks about our body like some uh, clay pot that the potter fashioned on the wheel. And um, God has put his spirit inside of us. But we are brittle. We're dusty. We're dirt. We're frail. We're mud. Something precious is living in something vulnerable. But everywhere we go, we bring life. Everywhere we go, we bring the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Everywhere we go, we have God living in this vessel, in this temple. Isn't that amazing? That in my mortal body, life is present, eternal life. 
It's not just temporary. It's eternal life. Things happen because God is there. People are born again by our testimony. Angela, I love your stealth witness with John 3.16. I think it's so great. You know, and God uses that. We, we open our mouth and life comes out of it. We, we touch people with ministry and God engages. And in these bodies of ours that are on the way to the grave, the Holy Spirit is living divine life coming through us in power. Isn't that amazing? That is just remarkable. And so Paul says, If the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. So, what have we said so far? We have a living Spirit because it's been born again. We have the Holy Spirit living in us because He has come to take up residence. We are in the process of being made into the character of Jesus. We have been born into the realm of the Spirit. Admittedly, we have a body that's still got trouble. And it's still living under the umbrella of sin and death. But I have God living in me. So how do I put these two things together? A body that is still weak and vulnerable and subject to disease and aches and pains and wants and needs and how do I get that together with the power of God? And Paul says, So then, verse 12, Brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Ah, friends, here's the kicker. Because we have the potential to live in the Spirit, we have the mandate to live in the Spirit. We are under obligation. Remember the scripture where it says, if you know to do right and you don't do it, you sin. Here Paul is telling us in the same vein, we have the Spirit of God living in us, empowering us. He's already covered in the verses higher up that we can walk in the realm of the Spirit. We can walk under the dominion of the Spirit. Now he tells us even though we have bodies that are deficient and defective, they are not a limitation to the power of the Spirit. He gives life to the mortal body. So he has basically in these verses, starting in, in verse 1 and going through verse 11, he has taken away our excuses. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh. Notice that this is not the word body here. This is not soma. This is sarks. This is the flesh, the old carnal nature, the old sinful dominion. We're under obligation, not to that old realm to live there, because if that's where you're living, you're headed for death. We talked about that last week, whether it's eternal death because you're not saved, or whether it's as a Christian... Your whole life goes up in smoke because you lived it for yourself even as a child of God. What a tragedy. There was a fire in North McHenry somewhere up in Johnsburg Friday afternoon. I don't know where it was, but it was big. And the 
you could see the billows of smoke going up. I had to go up to that end of town. I thought it was snowing here. When I got up there, I could see the trail of brown smoke going through the sky, and I realized that what was on my car was not smoke. It was little fine ash that was literally, you know, cooling down and dropping back down at little feathery, fine, lightweight, nothing. And some Christians, as we said last week, are going to find their whole lives turn into that stuff in front of the judgment seat of Christ because all their energy was poured into fleshly reward. He says, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if that's the way you're living, you will die, or at least all your deeds will. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul acknowledges there is a pull. And part of that pull is natural, and it comes from a body that is still under the dominion of sin. We get tired. We get hungry. We have needs. There's physical stuff going on with us that, that pull against us. And what do people say when they, when they lose their temper, when they got frustrated and got drunk when they name it, you fill in the blank. What do people say? You know, Christians, you, you go to them and you say, boy, how could you do that? And, and what do you hear? I'm only human. As long as I'm in this body, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but Paul just yanked the rug out from under you. That's exactly what he's saying. We're under obligation to live by the Spirit, even though we're in the body. The body doesn't have to control me. The body is not my problem. My body has limitations, but it does not keep me from doing what God wants me to do. It doesn't keep me from living in the realm of the Spirit, even though it has needs. You know, one of the first, first times I woke up to the reality, because when I was a freshman in college, I was skinny as a rail. I weighed about 170 pounds, and I was 6'2". And my metabolism was more like a hummingbird, and so I, I had no trouble with weight hanging on to me. It was just, it was not an issue. But I, I remember clearly, because we had an all-night restaurant nearby where my dorm was, and I remember clearly one night after I'd had a blowout with my two roommates. We were fussing about something or another, and uh, probably because there was, we had about 50 glasses between us and we didn't wash dishes till they were all gone. And then, then you know, so some, something about something like that. And I can remember going over to the um, all-night restaurant and ordering a hot fudge sundae. And that was the first time it occurred to me that I was eating that for comfort. I didn't need a hot fudge sundae. I'm not even sure I was hungry. But I just wanted a hot fudge sundae because it made me feel good. And I realized that, that I was doing that to comfort me, to kind of give myself a pat on the back. 
you know, that can be a real problem when your metabolism goes from hummingbird to slug. <laughs> that can change life dramatically. I have a point to this. I just forgot what it was. <laughs> we, we have a body that sings out to us in interesting ways. But we have the Holy Spirit of God who comes in and says, I want to give you control. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I want to give you control. I, when God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he intended that their bodies be their servant, not their master. Their body was to serve them, not control them. When they fell into sin, the body kind of became in control. And when we come back to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul is singing the message out here loud and clear. You don't have to go comfort binge. You don't have to indulge the body. You don't have to let the body dominate you. You don't even have to allow the weakness of the body to hold you back. What did Paul say about his thorn in the flesh? What did he say about his eyes? What did he say about the problems that he had? And yet he walked the Roman Empire carrying the message of Jesus Christ. And he talked about his weaknesses. And he talked about, I don't know what Paul suffered from, but he had issues. They did not hold him back. He was able to do what God had called him to do. And the message that he's giving us clearly here is, if we by the Spirit are putting to death the deeds of the body, we will live for all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. We have the capacity in the Holy Spirit to live triumphantly over the body. What does your body do to you? Does it not sleep enough? Does it want to sleep too much? Does it eat too much? Does it want to drink too much? Does it, what does your body do to you? We have victory in the Holy Spirit over that. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that everyone's going to go out of here and be perfectly well and you're going to die in your sleep at about 115 with never an illness. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the Spirit of God living in you empowers you to walk in obedience to His will no matter what. And if God has chosen a life for you, it did not mean that Jeffrey got up and worked 18-hour days on his feet. He laid in bed 20-hour days on his back. But he did what God called him to do. Some people suffer in pain, and they don't get mean and snippy and, and crabby and grumpy. Some, some people live with other debilitations. Some people live with other problems. And in the midst of all of that, God says, I can triumph over you. One day I'm going to bring that body out of the ground, resurrected, glorified, perfectly healthy, no pain, no limitations. I'm going to bring you in all the splendor of the resurrection into my presence. But until then, while you're in this body, I will live in you victoriously. And I will enable you to walk in victory. Friends, we have no excuse so then we are under obligation not to live in the dominion of the old nature, 
but to live by the Spirit. And He can do that. He can do that. And whatever it is that you need victory in, God is sufficient. He is able. Don't say, as long as I'm in the body, I'm going to sin. No, that's not the problem. You can live in the Spirit. Now, as I said to the 8 o'clock crowd, don't go out of here and say that I said you could be sinless from this day forward the rest of your life. Because there's a lot of stuff you're doing right now that you don't even know is a problem. And God will make you aware of that as you go on. But you can live today in the power of the Spirit in perfect obedience to God through His Spirit who lives in you. And as you go day by day, He will continue to work to make you more like Jesus Christ as He opens your eyes to new things and teaches you along the way. And your body is not your problem. Father, I pray this morning that you give us insight and wisdom into the powerful truth of your word. Enable us to walk by the Spirit because we're under obligation. We have the Holy Spirit. We're under obligation to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.